Hi, it's Matt from the Jeans Bond Complex. Uh, here to remind you that uh, Edgar and Emery from the Intrepid 007 podcast and myself have created the Casino Royale fan commentary podcast. It's available at univ-exports.com. So again, univ-exports.com. Uh, you can also subscribe on your usual platforms, whether it's uh, Apple or Google Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts, uh, you can subscribe there. So uh, listen in, um, take care, à la prochaine. Intrepid 007 podcast. I hope you're all doing well. Today is a little bit of a spooky episode because we are going to be talking about spooky things for Halloween. And um, as I've just recently re-renovated my office area, um, one of the big things that I have here, and when I say big, I mean big as in size, I've got a 10 by 10 foot poster of Spectre. Now, this was a gift that my brother-in-law got for me when he was working at HMV. Um, HMV, not sure if you guys had it over there in the States. I know that in uh, the UK it was a big thing, and it was here in Canada for a while until it closed down probably a good five or six years ago. Um, actually, it must have been more than five, uh, less than five, because of the Spectre poster that kind of puts the, uh, the date right on there. But this was a poster that had been created for specifically the sales of the DVD and Blu-ray back in 2000 and guessing 2016 when um, it would have come out. And so this 10 by 10 poster allegedly cost um, somewhere in the upper hundreds to thousands to make uh, and they were just going to toss it. So despite its enormous size, I was lucky enough to get, uh, get possession of it. And it does cover a portion of my unfinished wall, which is great. Um, it's a supersized poster of uh, of Daniel Craig um, in his blue Tom Ford shirt. Um, we've got Madeline Swan, Miss Leah Seydoux there as well in the, um, I believe it was called the ghost satin dress that she's wearing there. With, of course, the skull face from the beginning of the movie. Um, the reason I bring up Spectre is because it is a particular spooky subject when it comes to James Bond and when it comes to um, Halloween, because there's so many elements there that lend itself for Halloween, and it does also lend itself to a lot of Halloween elements from the Bond series itself. 
So if we work backwards from Spectre the movie, uh, we've got, of course, the Dawn of the Dead scene at the beginning of the movie where with hundreds and hundreds of extras, we recreate a Dawn of the Dead parade in Mexico City. Something that apparently didn't happen before then, and I can't imagine why, because it looks as fun as Rio's Carnival or uh, Mardi Gras in Louisiana. It looked like it was it was a great bit of fun, but a lot of costume ideas come out of there. We've got the uh, skull mask that Bond wears. Um, we've got um, well the outfit that um, now I can't remember her character name, but Stephanie Sigmund is it Sigmund? I get her mixed up. Um, what she was wearing was a kind of traditional mask. We've got, um, of course, uh, the baddie in that one had that cane that kind of fit in with his whole look with the white tuxedo and the skull. Um, so the whole, you know, the skull imagery um, comes into play there. And this is where we kind of get the first glimpse at Spectre is at the beginning of the movie when Bond defeats him. Um, I can't remember his name now. Anyway, um when he when he's defeated and kicked out of the helicopter, he keeps the ring, and this is the symbolic Spectre ring. This is something that we've seen in the movies before, and we've seen different variations of the Spectre ring, and of course the Spectre logo. Um, a lot of people have brought up the fact that Spectre is portrayed often as an octopus, uh, but the Spectre logo itself isn't supposed to be an octopus. Spectre is the actual word or a, a word for ghost. And it kind of represents the organization a little bit better um, as being a ghost operation because they're not supposed to exist. Now, we remember that um, the famous line from Quantum of Solace that Mr. White gives us, we have people everywhere, everywhere. Um, and it also comes up as well in, in Spectre. Um, so it kind of is this like in the darkness organization. So what we're actually looking at, and I mean, it's, it's quite clear that the logo on the ring isn't an octopus because it doesn't have eight tentacles, but there's a lot of octopus imagery in the main title sequence. That comes from the film Octopussy because Octopussy would have kind of been somewhat associated with Spectre and she, her, her kind of iconography was, was the... Um, was the octopus so people easily get the two confused uh, now I may have misspoke there in saying that she was part of Spectre I don't believe that she was because by then um, well Eon couldn't use the Spectre name and that was since well sometime around um, Thunderball they kind of got around it but they couldn't really mention them by name now why was it such a big deal in 2015 for us to get Spectre back as a name well you have Kevin McClory to thank for that, or uh, the death of Kevin McClory. Now, I don't want to insult the family or anything like that, but there was a long battle since the early 19, uh, late 50s, early 60s between Ian Fleming and Kevin McClory, uh, and uh, subsequently with the makers of Bond Eon Productions. And the reason for this is one drunken, uh, exciting weekend or, or a couple of days between Kevin McClory, uh, his screenwriting friend, and Ian Fleming, um, they came up with basically the plot synopsis for Thunderball. Now, for a very, very long time, Ian Fleming was trying to purposely make 
uh, James Bond into either a television or movie series without having to necessarily do the novels. That was probably his his greatest dream is to see uh, his characters up on the big screen. And he had been working to that goal for most of the life of James Bond until 1962's Dr. No. He'd been working so hard on that, in fact, that he had written Thunderball as the intention of this screenplay. And when the screenplay kind of fizzled out and the idea of doing the screenplay between the three fizzled out, Ian Fleming went ahead and turned it into 1958's Thunderball. This rubbed McClory the wrong way because Kevin McClory believed that he had created Blofeld and Spectre or that he had greatly contributed to it. And so a series of legal complications uh, then ensued. Ian Fleming wasn't really, um, I guess you can say, immune to legal issues because he had legal issues with the Bond franchise since almost the very beginning. He had sold the rights here and there to different people for different things and for, for different reasons. Basically, when he sold the rights to Casino Royale, Sometime around 1954, he sold them to CBS, which made it into a made-for-TV movie. They had the option for a second one, which um, they unfortunately for them didn't keep. So Casino Royale was held by CBS for uh, a good number of years before it was re-released back, or the rights to the movie was released back to um, the Fleming... um, trademark holders which would have been which would be eon so casino royale being made in 2006 was the result of several trades that mgm and eon had made to get the rights back Uh, and they had to make some trades coincidentally enough with sony sony who had come in and backed mgm later on when they were having some issues Um, but sony kind of was in the picture because of casino royale and if memory serves me correct mgm actually held the rights um to spider-man for a while, and if I'm remembering correctly, they traded a Spider-Man directly for Casino Royale. So, talk about another Halloween collection, a costumed Spider-Man running around, uh, holding the rights to to Casino Royale that we had to trade back for, and etc. So, but how do we get back to, to Spectre? Well, Kevin McClory uh, eventually was able to broker a deal where he would get a producing credit for the film version of Thunderball. Um, And so his name is in the sequence, in the pre-title sequence for Thunderball, because he was brought on as a producer, and that was because that was the only way for Cubby Broccoli and Harry Saltzman to kind of get them off uh, off their collective back. With the option of him remaking a movie within a certain number of years. That brings us back to Octopussy, strangely enough, because in 1983, Roger Moore returned to the series as James Bond in Octopussy, but so did Sean Connery as James Bond in Never Say Never Again, which is more or less the same storyline as Thunderball, with some slight changes to the character and the slight changes to the um, how the characters are played. Now, you have to remember, now, Sean Connery had last played uh, James Bond as a young man in 1971's Diamonds Are Forever, and here he is back 12 years later, looking considerably older and considerably grayer 
for Never Say Never Again. This is a movie that probably was one of the least well-received out of the non-canon Bond films, because there is another one. And if we're jumping back to what Sony had as rights to Casino Royale, they decided to produce their own in 1967, starring Peter Sellers and David Niven as James Bond. Um, Le Chief was played by Orson Welles. And if you can get past the first 20 minutes or so of nonsense, um, well, then good for you, because I wasn't able to do it. Um, and I'm not against spoof movies. Uh, you've heard my review of Austin Powers, and you know I'm a big fan of Archer, unlike Edgar Chaput. Um, but I do like a good parody, and I do like a good bit of satire. Casino Royale is a little too wild for me uh, in 1967. Um, you've got some characters in there that, and, and some storylines in there that just don't quite work for me. So that's kind of where we are with Spectre. It was kind of bounced around because of rights and because of this and because of that. Um, they took Blofeld and Spectre away because they didn't want to have to pay Kevin McClory the money for it anymore. So they had to get creative uh, and create storylines that didn't include uh, Spectre, which they did for quite a while until we get back to 2015 where they were able to resurrect the Spectre name uh, not only for the name of the organization headed by uh, Ernst Stavro Bofeld, but also for the name of the film. This is kind of one of those films where people kind of have an adverse reaction to uh, one way or another. Either they absolutely despise Spectre and think it's kind of the bottom of the barrel stuff, and some people like it, you know, just enough. There are a lot of holes in the story because essentially what Eon was doing is they were piggybacking on the idea that, well, we've got Spectre as a name and we can use Blofeld again. What else can we throw into the mix? And rather than make Blofeld just a standalone villain as they could and should have, they decided to try and uh, dig into more of Bond's personal side and repurpose some of the stories from his past. Um, and look at that. We've circled back to Octopussy. Octopussy, the story, is the story, the short story of how uh, James Bond came into contact with a former um, army captain who had a cache of Nazi gold that he hid. Um, and he hid it on a mountain uh, in the middle of the Alps. And the reasoning for that is because he was technically not allowed to be in possession of the Nazi gold. Um, so he would take a bar uh, one at a time and have it uh, shaved and melted down uh, in Jamaica where a, I believe it was a Chinese businessman there was taking a slight cut to kind of cover up the fact that this was Nazi gold and he was not to be in possession of it. How he got this onto the mountain, you say? Well, he kind of used um, a mountaineer, a kind of guide uh, named Hans Oberhauser. And if you remember the name from the film, and if you're only a fan of the film, well, you know that um, Franz Oberhauser is, well, Ernst Stavro Blofeld's real name. Well, Hans would have been his father. And Hans is also the person that, if you've read the novels, would have been the one who raised Bond 
uh, from a young age for a brief period of time in Austria. I believe it was over two winters um, where he taught him how to ski and etc. Um, this reflects on Ian Fleming's own life who, uh, where he would have spent a considerable amount of time in Austria and in Switzerland as well. His mother being Swiss aside, um, the whole... Uh, or half Swiss, the whole Austrian thing was an adventure that he had on his own when he went to the University of Vienna. So the Hans Oberhauser thing in Octopussy, basically, uh, basically Oberhauser uh, brings this captain up the the mountain and helps him hide the gold, um, and then he is promptly killed, unfortunately. Uh, Bond, once he meets this captain, I believe his name was Smythe, um, later on, he doesn't kill him and he doesn't get revenge for the killing of this father figure. He absolutely knew who the man was, um, but he kind of left him with the guilt that you've been caught. We know that you're a British officer who has been sneaking Nazi gold. We've figured everything out um, and we are going to be arresting you. He kind of gave him the the heads up, and it was kind of like a good faith thing, but I think Bond knew that the guy was going to go and off himself the way he did it, the spectacular way of, of having himself eaten by an octopus or killed by an octopus was definitely a different way to go, but that kind of brings us full circle to the whole connections to Spectre and Octopussy and all of that. Now, what does this have to do with Halloween, you ask? Well, Spectre lends itself to a number of interesting costumes. Uh, the Dawn of the Dead kind of get-up was a great costume there. Um, but it kind of opens us up to the world of Bond and some of that, you know, skull imagery that can kind of be very costumable. I can think of Baron Samdi would be a great uh, costume. I've seen people go and cosplay as uh, some of the Bond henchmen, like Jaws, which would be a great cosplay if you can pull off the teeth. Um, odd job would be the same thing kind of like these simple simple little things um, you've seen in David Zeritsky's video he's got a fellow named Eric Moran who does some of the um, his older intros and he's kind of dressed as this odd job um, Jaws hybrid um, he does some great cosplay stuff like I said the Bond series does lend itself to some crazy costumes some of them more recognizable than others. I mean, I think Jaws and Oddjob are pretty recognizable, and the Dawn of the Day of the Dead, sorry, kind of look is kind of passes as both. You can kind of be Bond at the same time as being Halloweenish. Um, but yeah, just to kind of so just to come full circle, um, Spectre. As much as you might have an appearance to the movie, there's some great looks in there that are very Halloweenish. And I believe that this would be, if you can think that Honor Majesty's Secret Service is the Christmas movie of the Bond series, I think that Spectre is definitely your Halloween movie. Thank you. Take care. And thanks for listening. You can find me on Instagram at 007 underscore intrepid. The same for Facebook. And you can also find us on YouTube at the intrepid 7 See you next time. Music by Incomptech. Copyright The Intrepid 7 Podcast.